welcome to Bears Beyond the Gate, a Bristol Bears podcast made by fans for fans. We're four season ticket holders at Ashton Gate who love the club, the game and all things Bears. In this week's show, we talk about Bristol's unconvincing 17-3 win at home to Leicester Tigers. It may not have been a dazzling display, but the Bears have extended their lead at the top of the table to six points. We also preview the forthcoming game away at Worcester with the help of sports journalist Marcello Cosali-Francis. Also, as we reach the halfway point of the season, we give our thoughts on the players of the campaign so far. Will you agree with our suggestions? All this and more on this week's show. I'm Tony and this week I'm joined by Lee, Miles and Pete for a cheeky beer and some rugby banter. Well, the first thing to say that um, we should be joined by Miles, but we, we keep getting messages on our WhatsApp group saying my computer's not working and my wife's computer's not working. And um, so we're hoping that at some point Miles will join us, but I'm pleased to say that I have got Lee and Pete on the phone. So, uh, Lee, let me come to you first. Um, how's your week been, sir? Hi, Tony. Uh well, as you all know, on a personal level, not the best week in the world, but um, on a sporting level, um, it's, pretty, it's been a bit nondescript, to be honest. Um, hasn't been too much going on, has there? Um, yesterday, obviously, was um, it wasn't the gun-toting saloon door swinging kind of cowboy western we expected, was it? But uh, but anyway, we'll, uh, we'll we'll discuss that in more detail in a bit. Yeah, England performances this week between the cricket and the Six Nations have been pretty pretty abysmal, haven't they? So, Pete, let me come to you. Uh, you're getting all prepped, ready for the big return to school on the 8th of March? Yeah, yeah, mate. I'm, uh, I am genuinely looking forward to that. I think uh, as a, both a parent and a teacher, I think it has been far too long um, and... I think it's good for everybody. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm going to get my shirts out and start ironing them and uh, start sharpening all my pencils ready for uh, ready for the big return. Um, but, yeah, just talking about sport, it's actually been a, a, a good weekend for me. Um, as you know, some people know that I also support Southampton Football Club. And for the first time in many weeks, we, we, uh, we haven't lost this weekend. Uh, mainly because we're not playing till tomorrow night. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent. So, Lee, let me come to you first. Um, obviously, game on Saturday, Bristol 17, Leicester Tigers 3. Um, just going into that game, um, what what were your thoughts? Were you, uh, were you, you when you saw the team uh, news from both Bristol and Leicester, were you, uh, well, were you confident or, or were you concerned about us getting a result? No, I was certainly confident, Tony. And I think, um, I mean, I was confident going into this anyway. And then one, we we saw um, Borthwick's selection for Tigers. Um, and I thought, yeah, this this should be a convincing, uh, convincing win for Bears. And I think on our poll, I, I had us to win by by twenty plus points. Um, but obviously, when the game happened, it didn't quite work out that way, did it? It certainly didn't. Pete, let me come to you. What were your thoughts? I suppose uh, on that opening thirty minutes, um, uh, it was pretty much nil nil for most of it. Um, were the alarm bells ringing for you? Well, it was a different one because. You know, if you think back to the end of the London Irish game where we literally lost our mojo in that last 20 minutes, I was quite enthused in the first half because we clearly, you know, found our mojo again at Ashton Gate. Um, 
but we just didn't get it working, did we? <laughs> and uh, it was just it was it became very frustrating that we didn't score because we 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 had the lion's share of the possession we made loads of line breaks and you know not to have put anything on the score sheet by 30 minutes i was i i found it really quite i was getting quite irritated by the whole thing um and you know fair play to, to leicester you know they they got stuck in but they were a, a they were a sort of shadow leicester side and you know i just felt we it, we were just we weren't clinical enough in some of these in technical areas and um so it was kind of disappointing and then obviously into the second half things changed a little bit more so yeah it, it was good to get the mojo back but we just didn't get it working yeah and lee picking up on that point uh, i think it was like 28 minutes in before um leicester opened the scoring with the penalty and actually we were lucky that their um fly half didn't have his kicking boots on because it could well have been uh nine nil to to leicester at that point um and then we had the yellow card for uh matthias moroni their their center their number 13 um and then we went and scored two really well-executed tries. And um, how did you feel at that point? Was that uh, did you think we were going to kick on then in the second half, or were you? Did you still have concerns around the way we were playing? No, I mean I, I do agree with Pete that we weren't clinical enough. But I, I thought that obviously when Leicester were down to fourteen, we were very clinical in that in that ten-minute period. Obviously, the two tries. Um, testified to that but I mean this was a game that I didn't ever think that that um, Tigers were ever going to win or trouble us that much but I'm, I, I will give them a bit more credit I think that that it, even though it was a shadow squad I think a lot of their players collectively did step up um, and I, and for me I thought Moroni I mean apart from the yellow card aside I thought he was absolutely standing um, outstanding. And I, I've also thought um, Tommy Rethel had a good game at seven. And I think also um, Joe Hayes in the front row was giving Jake Warmore absolute nightmares. So I, I think we have to give Tigers a, a bit of credit. Even though we weren't on our game, Tigers still weren't as bad as I was expecting them to, to possibly be. Yeah, Pete, Pete, let me come to you. Um, uh the, the the tries were, I suppose, what we were expecting in the in that first half an hour. Really, uh, one 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 for Capon from a, a driving maul, uh, and then a, a a lovely backs move that uh, saw O'Connor go across. Um, you know, what, what what did you make of those tries? And again, from your perspective, did you think that that was going to be the floodgates opening? Yeah, well, we'd scored two tries in the first half. And even though they were down to 14 men when it happened, I think that we'd had so much possession and so much, so many breaks that I just assumed that we would kick on for a bonus point in the second half. And it was disappointing that we only scored three points in the second half uh, just because of the the, the the pressure we'd put on in the first half. And it just, it just seemed inevitable that, that that pressure would then come to bear in the second. And therefore, that's why I'm feeling quite disappointed about the whole game. Yeah, we're six points ahead. Yeah, we're, you know, we are top of the tree and we are, you know, we, we, we're living in dreamland, really, when you look at the big picture. But when you think that Exeter slipped up, um, we, we, we could have, I just feel like we, we missed an opportunity. Uh, you know, a bonus point went begging and we just walked on by. 
Yeah, and I think what you know, what's particularly frustration frustrating is that um, you know we had the two points from last week. Uh, potentially, if we'd picked up uh, an additional point this week, that w- that would have been nine points ahead of Exeter, which you know on on most days is is a couple of wins. And uh, you know we saw what Exeter did at the end of the season last year. They they built up a nice cushion, and then when it got to the business end of the season, they could rest their frontline players ready for for the playoffs and for the European game. So, uh, yeah, it would have been great. But then I do have to pinch myself and say, we are top of this league uh, and we have 17 players unavailable or injured. So the fact that we're winning, and I know it wasn't a great Leicester side on paper, but this is still Leicester Tigers. And, uh, you know, we haven't had many victories over them uh, in, uh, in the league. Um, Lee, let me come to you. So um, second half, I think there was a penalty on 48 minutes and uh, I'm not sure there were too many other talking points um, after that. So let, let, let me come to you as far as player performances are concerned. Um, who, who, who were the players you thought played well? Who stood out for you? Well, can, can I just mention that, that you are correct, Tone. There wasn't much to talk about on the field, but we've got to mention the commentary, haven't we? I mean... Max Laheef was keeping me going through the duration of that second half. He was coming out with some absolute belters, wasn't he? And the one that I just gonna, I won't go through them all, but I'd written a load of them down. But this one was absolutely brilliant. It was, it was discussing. I think it was um, Piers O'Connor, and he <laughs> he was saying Piers O'Connor made him feel like an asthmatic ant carrying his is heavy shopping bags. <laughs> that was just like, come on. Yeah, I think, oh. I, I mean, Max was brilliant because I, I, with that, that BT Extra, you only sort of get, get any kind of audio, don't you? Mm. Right, five minutes before the start. And I was thinking, oh, that sounds like Max Laheef. And yeah. uh, when, when it was, and, uh, you know, I love the way he talks about John Afoa and his antique carcass. Oh. Um, but, uh, yeah, that certainly was was a highlight. I was worried at one point, actually, he was going to give away too many of the bare secrets because the, yeah. the other guy, the, the other commentator, what's he called, Rupert, I think, was asking him things. And I was I was almost going to the telly, Shh, Max, don't, don't tell him too much. Pete, actually, one thing that's 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 bothered me is um, I think we've been in some kind of late winter hibernation, um, especially when it comes to the second half of games. Because I've been doing a little bit of analysis, and we've played four games in February. Let me put this to both of you: How many tries have we scored in the second half of the games, the four games in February? Well. We didn't score one on Saturday. We didn't score one against Irish, did we? So that's naught. Uh, who else did we play? Sale, Gloucester, Sale, two. We didn't, yeah, I'm going to go for two as well. Uh, well, the correct answer is we haven't scored a try in the second half of wow. any of our last four oh, games. Right. In fact, all we've managed is six penalties. So on average, on those four games... We've we've made four and a half points in the second half uh, of each of those games on average, so that really does start to show. I mean, I think if you look back to last season, we were piling up the points in the second half. Mm. But is it now because of the unavailable players, all the absentees that we've got, that we just haven't got that firepower off the bench? 
but there seems to be this recurring theme. And even you go back to the, the last game of January, which was uh, against Bath. Obviously, it was a romp, but I think we only scored 14 points in the second half of that game out of the, the 48 in total. So there does seem to be this, this growing problem of us not performing particularly in the second half of games. Um, so, Pete, any thoughts on, you know, do you think it is the bench or what do you think might be causing this malaise after half time? I don't know, actually. I, it, that is incredible. Now, you know, you mentioned it. Yeah, it seems, I can't believe, now I think back, you're right, we haven't. I I don't know, it, it reminds me of when um, Clive Woodward took over England and one of the things he did was that they all put new kit on, didn't they, at half time uh, to run out into the second half. So they felt as though it was the start of the new game. Um, and I just wonder, but I do remember Pat saying, I, I don't know if it was this game or last one, where he said that it was... Um, Nil nil. That no, the London Irish game. He said we treated yeah. it. It's nil nil. We start again. So you think, well, they're they're obviously saying the right things, and that's your standard thing. It's like you 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 start again. So it, it's hard to. I mean, we can only speculate uh, why, it, it, as if. I don't know. I mean, the, the whole point of our system is that this shouldn't happen, should it? It's that we just keep playing the system, keep playing the system, and the system is the solution. But we're seeing this this great disparity between halves. You've got to wonder whether <laughs> wonder whether the, the players have kind of, you know, that they've, they've forgotten the playbook or something, or, or just something has gone wrong. Um, or maybe, let's put it the other way, maybe it's the opposition. Maybe that, you know, we are the top of the tree we've got the target on our back and that the other teams are doing a lot more homework on us and they are you know they're figuring us out a little bit and we're we haven't kind of got to grips with it so i don't know mm. someone out there will know the answer yeah and lee let me come to you i mean i wonder if there's anything to do with us being you know as far as props uh you know we, we've lost a lot of people to to injury um you know you think uh five six weeks ago we had Sinclair starting with John Afoa coming off the bench at Tighthead um you know this week we had Jan Thomas having to move across to uh play Tighthead you know I think that was interesting in its own right that you know Jake Armstrong is a tight head, mm. but Pat brought Jan Thomas on uh, first uh, rather than Jake Armstrong. Have you got any thoughts on why we may be stuttering in the second half? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do agree with a lot of what Pete said. I think there's probably a balance between the two that obviously the, the players that we, that we are missing, um, the system shouldn't fail. But then if you've got players who who aren't playing quite so much, um, i.e., for instance, the front row. I mean, Armstrong's only just come back from a long-term injury. Obviously, John Afoa has been immense for us. But I think there's a lot of – in that front row, we've got – we're creaking at the moment. And I think that's that can start a basis of, of a lot of flaws in the team where the system can – it only needs to be jigged and poked a little bit for it to be stretched, and then if you then it, you you start forcing things, which I think is is what's come out in a lot of our recent games. We seem to be forcing a lot of the issues and the passes that we wouldn't normally do. 
Yeah, and certainly. I, I think as well with the issues that we've got in the scrum, as soon as your set piece starts to malfunction, especially in the scrum where you're, you're giving away scrum penalties and, you know, you're, you're losing territory, you're losing possession, um, it, it does make things difficult. Um, let, Pete, let me come to you at, um, around players that you thought maybe um, stood out. Well, I thought, obviously, Charles Piertau in the first half particularly, was electric again. Um, and Siva started well. Actually, there was a, I made some notes in the game that I think Siva... Well, actually, I, I did make that on the first kit on the kickoff. He did his normal thing that he did against Irish, where he went flying in, and he completely missed. I, he, he came in horizontal like Iron Man, and completely missed the Leicester player. And I, I, that was quite funny. But he, 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 I thought he looks more comfortable now. So he's what was good about that is that it tapered off a bit for him in the end. He didn't get the chances, but he does look quite comfortable now um, in there. Um, I mean, Alapati. Played well. He did a couple of. He did a great break in that first half. Another break that didn't come to anything. He that was the one with um, that went to Capon, and then Dan Thomas got penalised on their line off his feet. Um, you know, we had some Morahan. He'd had one great break, didn't he? Morahan popped in, and then he, you know, he he had a better attacking game than, than perhaps he had more opportunity than perhaps he's had in the last couple of games. Um, so yeah, I mean, we looked good. Our back three looked really strong, and I just thought that's what we predicted, but we just didn't. Oh, I don't know. We just just didn't put it together. So I don't think we can criticise our back three at all. Uh, so. You know, but I, I do say, I think you're right. I think in the second half, I think Leicester got more control in the set piece. And of course, that is that is the, the fundamental for everything. And, and once you kind of lose that continuity and you're, you know, maybe that's when we have to start playing more sensible. We have to kick to the corner. We have to put them on the back foot, get away from scrums. Because the thing is, as soon as we fly it out wide, we're always risking a knock on and then it comes to another scrum and then it's reset and this sort of thing. So maybe we're just, not playing cute enough in the second half for that so anyway my my no. back three back three that's what i said I, I'm, I'm delighted to say we are joined by uh his royal highness the uh the duke of southfield miles uh is online now after some tef- technical difficulties miles it's really good to see you and after the uh two-week break i am sure you are brimming with insight for uh, not only the game that's just happened, but uh, the Bears in general. How are you? Technical issues solved now. Anyway, it's good to be back, boys. I've had I've had a torrid time because I've even spilt my beard on my lap this evening. So, so I'm fuming as well, but hey-ho. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm fired up, fired up to comment <laughs> Well, we we were just talking about uh, player performances, and Pete was saying about the you know back three, nothing that uh, you know that they did well, and uh, Alapetti Leo uh, uh, a good game in his uh, in the centre, which obviously isn't his normal position. Um, Miles, if I can come to you, put you on the spot. Let's talk about <laughs> the halfbacks then, uh, Johan Lloyd and Andy Urin. Um, your thoughts on their performance against Leicester? God, shall I shall I start with my man Aaron, who I have praised no end on previous shows, as you boys know. I mean, he was average, I'd say. The meters meters gained were were pretty impressive, but I don't know if you agree with me. But meters gained seemed to be horizontally and laterally across the pitch. 
instead of forwards towards the uh, Leicester gain line. And it was a bit disappointed to see that. <laughs> the, 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 uh, the Leicester the, the backs were up on him far too quickly. And I thought he had a disappointing game. And it was, we'll probably chat about this, but I, I hate to say a delight to see Castle come on eventually and throw some really quick balls. Um, who else did you ask about? I've forgotten in the heat of the Ruin moment. Piers. Yoan Lloyd. Yeah, he was okay, but he was, I think, clearly targeted by the Leicester back. His, his twinkle toes seem to have been uh, sussed out now by the opposition. He didn't have a bad game, but um, yeah, his kicks are okay, but not, not a fantastic game, but okay for, I think, for such a, such a young head. And Lee, let me come to you. What about the forwards? Anybody in particular that uh, you thought stood out there? Uh, well, I, before that, I was just going to mention, I, I actually thought the I thought Luatua, Thomas and Heenan collectively were really tight. I thought they, they played really well. Um, I'm trying to think now. I mean, the, yeah, Avui again was solid. I mean, he, you know, he, he does what he, he normally does, doesn't he? I thought Joycey was was again tidy um but i know i noticed he did he took a knock didn't he to his arm or his shoulder fairly early which seemed to be look like it looked quite bad um and i just wonder if that might we might have a knock-on effect from that at some point um i thought siva was was quiet to be honest um i think miles is right i think lester did i think they did their homework and and they certainly squeezed play up on us which i think um which did contribute to, to Lloyd and Uren struggling a little bit during that game, to be honest. Yeah, I think I think in the front row, I think Afoa again just shows the value. Um, you know, that first half, um, you know, I think things were in control in the scrum and that nearly a, a fantastic offload for for a try, um, which I think uh didn't Max Laheef say he's he's not a not just a piano shifter, he's a, a muscle bound Beethoven. Yeah. Um, um but Will Capon, I think have we got any more Capons in the squad? Because did you notice his shirt had a W on it? It was it was W Capon. So I don't know whether that's his new kind of street name. <laughs> w W Cap. Um, but uh, yeah, he. I think after those two really bad misthrows early on, which probably, as Pete, you've already said, cost us. I would say at least one try. Uh, I, I think. I think he did okay. Um, yeah, Kessel coming on, speeding things up. Um, it's nice. I mean, he only got like nine minutes, but at least he's come on because he's just been on the bench for for three games without any kind of appearance. Um, it, it just was one of those days that we'll, we'll look back on on the result and um, with with some pleasure, but but not on the performance. Lee, I think you want to add something. Yeah, I just wanted to to talk about a player that actually not only didn't make the the team, but didn't make the squad at all. Um, and I was just wondering what you guys collectively thought on the absence of Mitch. 23. Let me come to you first, Pete. Uh, a surprise that, that Mitch wasn't listed as unavailable. Uh, we've heard nothing about an injury, but uh, yeah, just, just wasn't there. Well, I was quite surprised. I, I thought he played well uh, against London Irish, but I do wonder whether Pat took 
bit of umbrage about that yellow card because in hindsight, it was a very stupid yellow card, wasn't it? Against uh, Nick Phipps, wasn't it? The Irish scrum half when we thought it looked like an accident, but it did look like he dropped his shoulder and, it, and, and maybe Patch has thought, you know what? I'm going to go back to my man Heenan who has been with him for, from Connacht is Mr. Reliable to Pat. And maybe Pat thought, no, I I'm I can't trust him. So I I wonder whether Mitch has got a got a bit of reworking to do with uh, with Pat again. Um, uh, so yeah, mm. it, was, it was it was it. I mean, it, it's a we can only speculate, can't we? Because we have no information, but we clearly he was dropped. And the only, yeah, I mean, the only thing I can think of is that yellow card that Pat may look at that and say that was a big turning point in that game where we didn't we needed to have all the men on the pitch and he's he's taken a he's taken one. Yeah, well, certainly, I mean, Mitch hasn't been that much around the first team squad. Um, I, I agree with you. I thought his, his performance bar in the yellow card was pretty good, but for whatever reason, um, it, it was a big surprise not to, not to certainly see him on the bench at least. Um, Lee, was, was that your thoughts as well that, uh, Mitch's, uh, non-appearance in the 23 was a, was a big surprise? Yeah. A massive surprise. I mean, <clears throat> I, I take, uh, Pete's, View on board that obviously the yellow card was was you know probably the the, the deciding factor in Pat's uh, thought process for dropping him. But I mean we were already on the back foot by that stage anyway, and I, I don't think that it was. I, I thought we played really well. I thought it certainly didn't deserve to be the fall guy for that second half performance against Irish. Personally, no, no. Well. Um... You know, we do know that Pat is prone if if a player, for whatever reason, um, kind of is not in favour, then he, he certainly, uh, you know, people seem to just disappear. Obviously, there was a the whole Madigan thing, wasn't there, yeah. last season where, um, you know, he just wasn't to, to be seen. Anyway, let's try and round up on uh, this weekend then. Um Rest of the games in round 11. So it's the halfway point of the season. It's been completed. We had uh, Friday night, Sale beating Exeter, uh, 25 points to 20. Obviously, an early red card for Exeter didn't help their cause. Uh, but that did certainly, I think he build the anticipation up for the Leicester game um, with the thought that we were going to pull ahead of Exeter. We had Newcastle 25, Quinns 22. So Quinns had been on a good run and were uh, snapping at our heels, but uh, they they lost. Wasps 10, London Irish 16. Again, Wasps um, really starting to struggle quite a bit now. Um, and, and Irish, who knows, maybe on the up after that, uh, that result that they got uh, against us Gloucester 22 Worcester 14 um, you know I'm Bristol through and through but I've got to say I was really pleased to see Gloucester get that win and I hope that that breaks their little uh, run of uh, defeats uh, and they can start to pick things up uh, and maybe um, other than the Exeter 
results. North, uh, the other big surprise for me was Northampton Saints 22, Bath 23 today. So uh, again, Saints dropping points. So although we've talked about our disappointment with the um, the performance against Leicester, what it has done is meant that uh, Bristol at this halfway point are top of the table with 41 points. Uh, Exeter six points behind on 35. Then we got Quinns on 33, Sale on 32. Um, right. Well, let's let's move on. Unless anybody's got anything else to um, talk about the Leicester game, we'll uh, now look ahead uh, to our next game, which is Saturday the sixth of March away at Worcester. Uh, it's a five fifteen kickoff, and I think it's going to be on BT Sport One extra so not one of the main bt games you have to find it on the uh, the red button or one of those uh, extra channels uh but before we talk about that uh pete's uh, managed to catch up with marcello cosali francis who is uh, a journalist at uh, the worcestershire news who uh, reports on uh, the warriors games and uh, we got the inside track from him so let's listen to that now Okay, so, um, well, thanks very much, uh, Marcello, for having a chat tonight with us. Uh, We really appreciate it. So, um, we met earlier in the season, obviously, with Bristol uh, coming out victorious, 30 points to 13 at Ashton Gate. But I was wondering, um, do you have any thoughts about that game? Uh, Were the Warriors a bit unlucky? Unlucky is definitely the word. I think it all swung on on a, I think it must have been maybe a two-minute period where... um, Ollie Morris, I can't remember who, I think think it was uh, Siali Piertau, who he, he absolutely upended and in the process was a judge to have knocked the ball on and Tom Howe runs through, scores under the post and we're all thinking, what a try, uh, what a massive hit from Ollie Morris in the field and then referee says knock on, brings it back to all the, all the way back to the, the, uh, the halfway line, scrum to Bristol, Penalty at the scrum, kick to the corner, driving line, driving more at the line out, try, Simbin. So inside two minutes, uh, Worcester have not had a try. And from being a couple of points behind, now all of a sudden two scores behind, uh, a man down for the next 10 minutes. And it kind of all swung on just, you know, just those little, that one decision really. And um, it was definitely the feeling after the game that Warriors were certainly unlucky. They'd also... Had, had the lion's share of possession really for for a lot of that game as well. So um, to come away from nothing was that certainly hurt. But um, yeah, essentially it's, it's 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 always a good sign of a of a team that are good because if you can turn games and you can take advantage of decisions or things that go your way sometimes, then that's a sign of a good team. But definitely, uh, they were definitely unlucky at Ashton Gate. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, since then, you haven't had a great season. Um, you're currently just above Gloucester. Uh, we'll leave it at that. But, uh, I mean, how would you summarise what, what's happened so far? I think the table is genuinely a fair reflection, to be honest. Um, i trying to think, aside from Exeter at home, in which we went 14 points down inside uh, in the first half pretty early on, and to then come back and get a losing bonus point, and that was arguably the performance of the season. They then, before that, went up to Sale. Didn't play particularly well, but I remember Jason and Jonathan Thomas saying after the game that the AJ Bell is a very difficult place to go. 
Um, and considering how good kind of sale have been, especially at home in, in the last couple of years or so, to get two losing bonus points from those two teams after each other was seen as a, as a positive kind of sign, especially as just before that sale game, Jonathan Thomas had been promoted to head coach uh, officially. And um, I think for fans, they probably looked at that and thought, okay, so this is quite encouraging. We're going in the right direction. To then follow it up with the performances has been pretty disappointing. Uh, Leicester Tigers away was most likely the worst performance of the season. But in the main, I think they're lucky to be where they are because of the points they've been given from uh, some COVID results. And um, it's been a case of Worcester play well in parts, uh, dominate possession, have a lot of territory, create a lot of chances. I think they're I'm pretty sure at one point they were either first or second in terms of the amount of chances they create and don't score anywhere near enough points. They don't take advantage of good positions. So it's been a very frustrating season and this weekend playing Gloucester would, if this was a normal season, would be a relegation decider, I think. And um, I think that's a very fair comment to make. So, I mean, despite all that, I mean, are there any players that you would uh, sort of point to that have, have actually been been good, you know, that that you that you could have caught the eye. So I think the main one's probably Ollie Morris um, in the midfield. He's been, if you see him and you watch him play, you you look at him and you don't think that he could be as effective and as destructive as he is. He's he's not a very he's not a big guy, um, but he's so so tough. He is, and I. Like we mentioned in that Bristol game, I mean, the tackle that he put in to lead to that try that wasn't given was incredible. And he's he's done that kind of week in, week out. He's he's really good defensively and he's really super aggressive. And he's given the ball in hand as well. And I think Worcester pride themselves on the younger players they have. That's definitely the ethos they have at the club. So there are lots of talented potential there. But it's it, I'm, not, I'm not sure it's been a season where it's not been massively positive yet, um, but player-wise, yeah, Ollie Morris. Trying to think, Ollie Lawrence, of course. He's you know, he's spent a lot of time with England, so we haven't seen him as much in the Premiership. Um, but yeah, the younger players, you know, like players like Ted Hill is consistent. Um, the front row has been good. The scrum has been a positive, especially in recent weeks. Um, that's been a strong point as well. Nick David, the little winger. Again, who's another one who punches well above his weight, and uh, yeah, he's really good. So there are there are encouraging signs, and there are players who showing plenty of potential and look quite comfortable at this level. But yeah, it's definitely a case of most games, one or two people stand out. But you know, in the Premiership, that's not enough. You need need more of that in a game. So I mean, you've got a, a couple of sort of Bristol old boys in in both the playing and the coaching staff, Marco Mama, Billy Searle, and then obviously you've mentioned Jonathan Thomas, who's been promoted recently or um, this season, and also Mark Irish, the scrum coach. I mean, how are they viewed generally by the, the Warriors faithful? We start with John, Jonathan Thomas. I think, I think from being a player only is actually, I think only six years ago, uh, was he actually a Warriors player? And I think when you get, ex-players in as coaches, um, especially this early on in his coaching career, it's normally seen quite positive because he's a player that will probably be able to um, work quite well with the younger players and given that Worcester is such a young squad, having a young coach as well, I think it works quite well and there's quite a good dynamic there. Um, 
he's certainly we have the press conferences each week and now that he's taken over the press duties from Alan Solomons since being promoted to head coach he is he is a breath of fresh air like genuinely he he says it how it is he doesn't sugarcoat it he's he's just completely direct and completely open which is good for us it's good for a reporter like me because it makes for good reading and um yeah, he genuinely just speaks his mind, but he's a very passionate guy. He sounds like he's really, he's got a lot of love for the club as well, which is always going to, you know, and and genuinely fans are very much encouraged by him. And I think they they view him as a potential director of rugby in, in years to come. But for now, they're definitely kind of, he's there. Most people are a very big fan of Jonathan Thomas. Mark Irish as well, obviously kind of coming with JT and, the scrum, like I said, has been has been really, really good actually this season. It's been probably one of the the better parts of the Worcester game. I've in recent weeks kind of seen the front row and dominate other sides, um, especially some of the bigger sides as well. And again, Mark Amama, another one who's who's a bit of a legend as well with Worcester already, and he's a he's a fan favourite. Trying to think Billy Sill, who's also come through. Obviously, he's come via Wasps. The jury's still out on him a little bit, I think. Um, I think the question marks are still there over whether he can control games particularly well. Worcester have become used to someone like Duncan Weir, who is a good game manager as such. And I think Billy's still learning things. He shows the qualities that you'd want. He's a good attacking player, but um, the jury's still out a little bit. Okay, well, let's think about... um... The return leg at six ways on March the 6th. I mean, I, I know it's still a fair time away, but but how do you see that game panning out? Um, I mean, it hasn't always been a, ha- a happy hunting ground for Bristol. So what do you think? Yeah, I remember being at that game. I think you you mentioned it earlier. I'm not sure how many years ago. It might be three years ago now where Worcester completely yeah. ran all over Bristol in the end. I think it was something like 52-7, I think something like that. Um, and then last season... Bristol, the Bristol Worcester game was quite close in the end. It was for Bristol, but for large parts, it was quite competitive. This weekend against Gloucester will very much kind of change my view on how I see that game. Um, losing that, even though there is no relegation, I think losing that psychologically for either team uh, will have quite an impact because they're the two sides at the bottom and. If Gloucester to win, Worcester are then bottom. So I think that that then is a bit of a negative environment to be in, potentially heading into a Bristol game. When I look at Bristol myself, I think any team going up against them would be would be very wary of the, the threats they have all over the pitch. They've got uh, international quality. They've got stars all over the pitch. Even when players are away on international duty, like some of them are, They've still got more than good enough, you know, players to come in. I think the the one the one example of that is Dan Thomas because if Bristol lose Ben Earl to England duty or they lose you know they lose someone else to be able to have someone like Dan Thomas come in who I said to my to my dad at the weekend watching if if he was playing in Wales he would be capped he would be capped by now for sure because uh, he's immense. Having seen how they played against London Irish, I think there will be a Worcester will be confident, and I think not confident. I think they'll be encouraged by what we saw in the second half. But ultimately, Worcester would have to be very much on top of their game to kind of uh, get a positive result there. But whenever we speak to the players at Worcester, they always they don't 
They don't look at any game and think, oh, we're going to target that one. They go into every game thinking they can win. When teams play Bristol, I think, yes, they are incredible to watch. They play awesome rugby. Um, but at the same time, I still think there's a tiny little bit of not quite there yet with Bristol. I still think there's just a little bit of something, not really sure what it is, but I think teams still think that there is a slight opportunity every time they play Bristol. But Worcester would definitely have to be very much on the game to get much from that one. So you are you confident to go for a, a narrow Worcester win then? <laughs> at the moment, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be confident of Worcester uh, winning any game, if I'm being brutal. Um, I wouldn't be confident passing any kind of money on. Fair enough. I, I, won't, for, I won't force you on it. I won't force you on it. So final question. Mr. Marmite man himself, Chris Ashton, uh, has, has joined Worcester. So I'm interested to know, do you think that that was shrewd business or uh, a waste of money? Absolutely. I think what I have said before about Worcester is they've got a squad full of uh, young players, plenty of talent, plenty of potential. What they do lack is proven premiership quality. And Chris Ashton, whether he, some people might say, oh, he's passed it, but he he has that in his locker. His CV speaks for itself. His try scoring record speaks for itself. The fact that Worcester create all these chances and don't finish them off. If you want someone to come in and finish off chances, then Chris Ashton has made a living on that. That is his thing. And, and Worcester lack... In terms of try scoring, they don't score anywhere near as many tries as everybody else. So bringing in someone with that kind of pedigree on that front is is definitely a shrewd bit of business. And having spoken to JT on a couple of times, he is trying to now add those kind of players that have quality, they've got experience, they've been there, they've done it. And then also for him to be able to help develop the other young wingers in the squad, like Nick David, for example. So for me... Although we haven't watched him play yet, but on my my first thoughts are it's definitely a shrewd bit business and it's definitely a positive, um, I think. So I'm all for the move myself. Brilliant. Well, I think that was a very uh, very informed analysis. So look, I really appreciate that your time. It's, that's been great, and uh, look forward to uh, the clash at Six Ways. So Pete, again, uh, second week, second journalist. Um, I thought really good analysis there. And uh, interesting that he picked up on that point that where they struggle is is really to be clinical with the finishing. And, and maybe that's one of the reasons that they, they've taken a bit of a gamble on Ashton. Yeah, because I, I mean, I asked the Ashton question, expecting him to sort of say, oh, yeah, you know, it was... Uh, I don't understand it, but actually he's, he gave a very sensible answer and it made a load of sense. I think, why not? You know, he clearly said that Warrior's problem is finishing, that they're pretty happy with the, they've got a solid scrum and they, they've got a good setup. Um, but obviously he also intimated that he was pretty, he had pretty low expectations uh, for them for the whole season. And, and I think when you look at some of the signings that they've made for next season, it's clearly a, a rebuilding process going on um, with Jonathan Thomas, you know, being appointed, you know, halfway through the season as, or earlier in the season as, as head coach, people like Willie Hines going there next year. So I, I think they're probably in a process of rebuilding. I just hope that we don't get caught on a day where, where, 
it all clicks for them and and it would be pretty pretty disappointing to see uh tom uh tom ashton <laughs> chris ashton get a bit closer to uh tom vardell's record wouldn't it at uh at six ways so yeah i i mean he, he gave us a lot of confidence didn't he <laughs> Yeah, it, again, I can't get used to it. It's all, all yeah. the opposition fans that, that you're interviewing saying, oh, I don't think we're going to win. Um, uh, we'll certainly take that, that's for sure. Miles, let me come to you. Um, uh, how do you see Pat um, lining up the team for next week? Obviously, we've still got uh, uh, people unavailable and injured. Um do, do you see many changes from the, uh, well, let's start with the 15 that uh, took to the field against Leicester? Uh, well, barring any more injuries and calling upon someone like Pete or Lee to play, well, I don't, I'm not sure we, we've got any other choice but to field the same 15, to be honest with you. But I would, I, I think we'd probably most sure all agree, I'd, I'd like to see a change of scrum half starting the game. Uh, I think there were quite a few comments on the chat room about that. For the for the five or ten minutes Kessler was on, he looked pretty sprightly, very quick passing. And as we know, they've got a very fast 4G pitch, haven't they, uh, up, at, up at six ways. And I think it could suit his game. I think start, I, I, everyone else, I think the same starting lineup. But I think give Kessel a chance and, if need be, bring her in back on. But I'm not sure Pat's got any other players you can really play. And Lee, let, let me come to you, your thoughts. I mean, one of the things I'm not quite sure on, I'm making the assumption that because uh, there's no Six Nations game next week, that uh, Callum will be back from Wales. So uh, he slots straight back in at number 10 for you? Yeah, for me, he does. That was the only one I was I was going to say. Um, but also, I, I think that goes without saying, doesn't it? I think Callum Sheedy gives us, I mean, it's been proven the last few games, Sheedy gives us the control, the game management that actually... You know, we, we we need, I think, especially when we haven't got our, our full-strength uh, team out. Um, talking about, I mean, Miles just saying about the pitch there, I just wonder if maybe Ed Holmes might come in to, to the reckoning at some point because, again, a little bit more mobile than maybe Joycey or, um, or, well, I don't think he would risk Dave Atwood um, if he's potentially close to coming back. So I, I would agree with Miles. I think we're pretty much down to the, the bare bones anyway, and I think we'll see pretty much the same side with with Sheedy. And Pete, let me come to you. Any any uh, further thoughts on that? No, I mean we, we still don't know what's happened to Purdy, do we? Because he went off. You know that HIA seems to have been dragging on, and then obviously Atwood uh, has now had two games out with that calf. And Steve Luatour had two with his calf, didn't he? So I don't know whether Atwood will be back in contention for a, a squad place. Um, well, I mean, maybe Tiff Eden will get back on the bench again. You know, he came on. I mean, he didn't put a foot wrong, did he, on uh, on Saturday? It was a, it, He did well, to be fair, because we were on the line and he went in and got the ball out, didn't he? And Because Andy Arendt had been like, uh, it was like one massive pile on and Andy was in the bottom and Tiff showed a bit of metal, got his hand in there and booted it miles over the south stand to finish the game. So on that basis, I would give him a... I'd get Tiff Eden back as a squad. Yeah, I think, yes, his 60-second appearance. Um, Faultless. I, uh, 
He's faultless. He's, he's, um, he's built his way back into the squad now, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah, and I don't, I don't know what Andy Urin was doing no. in that uh, in that ruck because uh, he'd gone off six minutes earlier. Oh, yeah. so, yeah, uh, <laughs> I was going to say something, but I thought no, I better not. Good job the TMO didn't see that. You know I mean, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I suppose when we uh, when we had those injuries at Gloucester, I remember the the kind of club saying that some of the injuries are going to be between two to five weeks I wonder you know Siali Piatau with his shoulder if it if it if it was a stinger um you know potentially could he be close to coming back uh Nathan Hughes it looked bad when he went off um it was talked about a dead leg now that's some big leg if it is dead to to recuperate but um uh, I do wonder whether he might start to uh, be be back in the reckoning and the only other thing I've picked up from the comedy gold that was Max Laheef's commentary was that he did say he'd be fit for next week uh, and I think if he is uh, I can see him probably taking uh, Armstrong's place on the bench as the the, the backup um, and then with Jan Thomas and Laheef you've, you've got cover um they can both play both either play. side of the scrum. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I think that will be good. But, uh, yeah, really, other than that, um, you do struggle to see what players could come in because, you know, 17 out, there's so many out um, that, uh, yeah, I think I think the options will be limited. Okay, well, let's, let's go for prediction time. I, I'm looking back at last week. And um, I reckon probably the closest was Pete's prediction for the Leicester game. I think you went 17-13. So uh, there we are, uh, a, a gold star for you. Um, Miles, you went for the Leicester win, which, uh, you know, did cause a lot of concern amongst your, your fellow hosts. So I'm going to come to you first oh, no. this time so, so you can redeem yourself. Uh, Worcester, up until recent times, have been a bit of a bogey team. Uh, having said that, we've got some victories, but maybe not always convincing victories in the last few games. How do you see it? going at six ways on Saturday? Uh, I'm probably not going to predict a loss after last week. I think, uh, uh, but Worcester are a good side. You know, they, at home, we we generally always struggle, haven't we? And I know we we got the win last year. And they've got some good players. Um, I think it'll be closer than you think. It's at home, a fast surface. They like to play quickly. So I'd probably put something like Bristol 21, Worcester 18. Tight game. Right, uh, Lee, your thoughts on uh, on the result? I agree with Miles. I think obviously Worcester are one of those sides that um, they're not so affected by international call-ups, so they pretty much have the basis of their their squad intact. Um, they all know what they do, and I think this this will be a tight game. Like you say, six ways is is or has been an absolute nightmare for us as Bristol fans, hasn't it? Um, but I, I'm going to I'm going to give it a little bit of a wider margin. I'm going to go for Bristol 24, Worcester 15. Okay, uh, Pete, your thoughts on the scoreline come 7:15 on Saturday night? I think we cannot butcher as many chances and opportunities as we did on Saturday against a similar sort of setup. So I'm, I'm going to say that we're going to get 25 points and they will get seven. Seven. 
Okay. Well, I'm going to go for a 24-12 Bristol win um, and with a scoring a try in the second half to break that little uh, run of uh, barren second halves as far as tries are concerned. Okay, you're listening to Bears Beyond the Gate, a Bristol Bears podcast made by fans for fans. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Buzzsprout, and many more platforms. You can contact us with your comments and ideas by email at bearsbeyondthegate at gmail.com. On Twitter, we're Bears Beyond Gate. And on Facebook, you can like and follow our Bears Beyond the Gate page. Uh, okay, um, I am sorry to bring this up, chaps, but... Uh, Let's talk about in- Wales versus England. Um, yeah. You know, we we'd sat through a uh, a tense a tense game for Bristol. At least we won. If it wasn't a sparkling performance, um, and that was the hors d'oeuvres maybe for the the main course. Uh, and uh, well. If it had been a restaurant, we would have sent it back, wouldn't we? Um, that, that, that particular meal. Um, Lee, let me come to you. I, I, let's not get into a great debate over England. Let's maybe look at the, the Bears' perspective. Um, uh, first of all, Carl Sinclair, how, how you thought Carl played in that game? Yeah, I, I thought, I mean, it, it seems to be that, that Sinks is, is definitely back to form now, doesn't it? Um, when he puts on the, the white shirt for England, he looks solid. I thought, again, he was... He was right near the top of the tree. Um, one of one of the better performances for England, um, and he was he was one of the most disciplined players on the pitch as well. Yeah, which, uh, I was going to say at least he didn't give away many penalties. Yeah. yeah, in in a in a game where obviously discipline, you know, was wasn't the greatest from a, an England point of view. I, I thought Sinks had played really well. Uh, Miles, let me come to you. Um, uh, you know, Malins and Earl got on at the end really for for cameo appearance appearances, but someone that did come on f- from a Bristol perspective that that really did make a a difference was uh, Callum Sheedy. Your thoughts on Callum's performance as a as a proud Englishman, uh, but also as a Bristol Bears fan? Uh, I, I, I thought he was fantastic. I mean, at that point. England were playing so badly. I, I think I started supporting Wales just for the sake of Callum Sheedy being on the pitch. And I'm probably not alone in that thought. I mean, his, you know, some of his kicks were quite tricky, but he nailed all of them. His play was fantastic. It was quick line speed. And I think going forward, it wouldn't surprise me if he gets um, picked over Dan Bigger now, uh, and maybe Bigger on the bench. He had a good old game and good, good, good on him. Uh, and Pete, your thoughts, Callum, bigger than bigger? Yeah, I think given that they're playing, yeah, given that they're playing Italy next, I don't see why not. I think Pivat might give him a start for Italy and just see how he goes from from with that responsibility from the start. And then perhaps when it comes to the the final game in Paris, then Pivat's got a kind of a decision to make because I thought he was superb when he came on I just think it just shows what we've missed really um, and really pleased for him and actually in some ways his kicking was like it was it was it was better than we normally see actually he didn't he didn't kind of get anywhere near the posts at all uh, it's obviously they've they've uh, dis- they've uh, banned any close ones uh, for the in the Wales camp so yeah f- fair play to the boy uh, really pleased for him um, and I'm sure that everybody back in the camp were really pleased, even the England fans, uh, to to see how he performed. 
Yeah, and Lee, if he, if he is back uh, uh, now for the for the next game, do you think uh, he'll, he'll be walking into the high performance centre with his his Wales kit on, just giving it a bit of you know, all right, English boys? Why not, Tone? Why not? I mean, we're all so proud of him, aren't we? And I mean, it, it was. I'd agree with Miles there. I think it was one of those you wanted him to kick the kicks. I think actually the only mistake he did possibly make was um, he should have maybe passed it to Lewis uh, Reese at the end, and I think that would have been a certain try. But um, yeah, I did notice with the kicks actually, Pete just saying about the kicks, they that natural draw, draw that Callum has, he seemed to be kicking more to the right of the post. And the natural draw to come back. So, it, you know, when the ball went through the place, it was actually a centre. Um, I just wonder if we can if we can use that now when he's back at Ashton Gate and playing for the Bears. Well, you do wonder whether he's had like another layer of coaching on kicking because obviously, is it Thorburn that's um, no Neil? Um, who's the kicking? It's Neil. Um, what's his name? You know, the, fa- the famous Welsh ginger bloke. <laughs> The, who's the kicking coach at, um, for Wales. I can't remember his name. Anyway, you do wonder whether... It, that Neil Jenkins. Neil Jenkins. Yeah. yeah. You do wonder whether he's um, he's actually had a little bit of extra coaching. I mean, you, you assume that when they go away for these, like, international camps, they don't just sort of do drills. You know, they must get, like, one-to-one advice from other from other sources and I, I just wonder because I, I noticed that on his kick he does bend it in but it almost like he got that where it then straightened a bit as well whereas in the past he's bent it quite a lot and I don't know it's just something I noticed that that I wonder whether he has had a bit of a uh, bit of extra input and you know nothing to lose so we'll see we'll see well, if, uh, let's, let's face it Neil Jenkins kicked a few in his time didn't he so well, exactly. uh, I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna learn from someone exactly and that boy Jenkins didn't have anything else in his life, did he? Really, apart from kicking and playing for Wales. So fair play to him. He's, he's going to know something about kicking. So yeah, I'd be interested to know whether he, he has had an influence on him, even in a short amount of time. Well, a, a disappointing game for England fans. Um, obviously, two controversial tries awarded for Wales in in the first half, but uh, you know, just our discipline let us down, didn't it? And um, in, in the end, it was no excuse, was it? it, it it's no excuse. No. no. No excuse. No excuse. Okay. Um, I think we've got a shout-out to uh, do as well uh, this week, Pete. Somebody somebody that you know. Yes. Um, good mate of mine, Colin McDougall. Unfortunately, he's a Scotland fan, though. Um, but we put that to one side. Well, actually, we don't really speak during the Six Nations. But anyway, he did through the medium of Facebook tell me that he quite enjoys Bears on the Gate but more importantly forget about him he said that one of his he went out for some drinks with workmates and one of his workmates is a Worcester Warriors fan Dave Harris I think it is so shout out to him and apparently he listens to the pod on a regular basis so you know our tentacles tone stretch to other clubs and apparently he said we are quote authentic which <laughs> i do wonder whether that's a euphemism for you know the opposite of all the professional pods that are out there but anyway, there you go excellent excellent well uh, another thing from social media just to uh, finish off on tonight was uh, at at red barney on twitter um put a very interesting post up to say uh we've got to the half point of the season obviously we're top of the league we're in the knockout stage for Europe 
Um, who would be our player of the year so far? Um, so let me start the ball rolling. For me, there's one obvious candidate, um, and that, that would be Piers O'Connor. I think he's played in every game. Uh, he uh, His performance levels have been uh, right up there um, throughout throughout these 11 games. Uh, but I'm interested with you guys, who, who else you think could be in the running uh, for player of the year, or do you disagree? Do you think there's someone that's maybe shone even more than peers? Um, let, let me come to you first, Lee. Your, your thoughts on your standout player of the season so far. Okay, so um, I'm going to totally agree with you, Tony. I think Piers O'Connor has definitely been the half, halfway um, player of the season so far, but we're all probably going to say the same answer. So talking about other potential candidates and I've just picked one so that Miles and Pete have, have got further options mm-hmm. as well um it's someone who who didn't when he first joined us I think we were expecting so much and even though he's a Bristolian it did take a while for him to find his feet at Ashton Gate but I think before the injury in the last couple of weeks out Dave Atwood has been absolutely immense for us and he's the player that we all expected him to be um, when he first joined. Um, and I think we've we've got a few candidates like that who have really, at, the, at this stage of the season, seem to have just upped their level massively. And Big Dave is, 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 is my shout. Okay, Pete, let me come to you. Who else do you think could be in the running? Well, I'm going to go for another forward. I think it's it's difficult to compare like for like when you've got a back and a forward because they, they obviously have very, very different skill sets sometimes um, and, and have sort of different jobs. And I think that, you know, whilst we've scored a lot of tries and still have this reputation for expansive rugby, a lot of those tries have come from lineouts and rolling malls. And until recently... The lad that was at the under underneath all of those rolling malls was uh, our big fan with the double Y, Brian Byrne. <laughs> and I think that he, at the start of the season, when we found out that Thacker was injured for quite a long time, I think we were a bit, you know, a bit worried. And it was a 50-50 between Byrne and, Th- uh, Byrne and Capon. And I think, to be fair, he kind of made that jersey his own until the injury recently and was looking, and I think was getting better and better with every game. So I, I'm going to put a little shout out, particularly for the forwards, for, for Brian Byrne. Let me come to Miles now. Let, let's put Andy Urine to one side. Um, uh, who, who else do you think uh, would be in contention for, for player of the season so far? I mean, I think you, you boys have suggested fantastic candidates. And I, I agree with Pete. Brian has just come on, come on strong. But I think um, other than laughing about my Andy Urine, I'm, and I think a clear favourite for us, and it's just Sean, is our little, our little mate Harry Randall. Now, <laughs> he's, he's coming to his own. He, he's clearly sort of Pat's number one favourite, and you can see why. His, his skill, his ability to think, think on his feet, fast running lines, little dummy passes, and his box kicking has become better and better and better every single game. Uh, gutted we obviously are that he's not going to get an, an England cap. And let's hope that he's... Uh, actually picked up some good skills from the England camp, despite being injured by Eddie Jones. And so I think my, my shout-out for players so far is little Harry Randall. 
Can I just say, I hope he hasn't picked up anything from the England yeah, camp, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. OK, yeah. Yeah. And I can't believe Eddie Jones injured him as well. Yeah. I know. Terrible. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah. 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 I, 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 think, I think it's, it, you know, our, our season has been so interrupted by international call-ups uh, and by injuries. Um, just... Just uh, a couple more players maybe to throw into the mix. Um, Dan Thomas, uh, I think, has been been super consistent, um, does so much work and uh, has, has been there all, all through the season. Uh, and of course, you know, the influence of Stephen Luatoa, um, I, I think, is always immense on this Bristol Bears team. We're not such a good team uh, when he's not there uh controlling things but obviously he he's missed quite a few games uh as well with uh with Knox um Lee well I, I didn't think we might miss him or, or we might not mention him but obviously in dispatches we've got to give a huge shout out to to um the effervescent John Afoe haven't we who's been 37 years old and still is performing to the top of his game and you know, in dispatches, he's got to be one of one of the candidates at least, hasn't he? I think that's an absolutely great shout. The the workload that John Afoa has had to take on in the the twilight of his career for Bristol. Uh, and his performances have been absolutely immense. And we've seen in the last couple of games when when he goes off, um, just the the impact that clearly he has on the scrummaging uh, and the set piece. So that's a great shout. Uh, well, gentlemen, uh, that is it for this week. Uh, thank you very much for your company. Uh, Miles, thanks for turning up in the end. Uh, always great to see you. Um, <laughs> so that's it for this show. If you like what you've heard, please leave a review or rating for us on your podcast platform. We'll be back next week with our review of the Worcester game and more Bristol Bears news and views. Until then, goodbye, stay safe and come on, Briz. Briz.